Now, we should never assume that we know other people's spiritual state. It's a dangerous path to follow. I heard of this single guy. He wanted to have a unique pet. So he went to the pet store. And what he did is he found the most unusual pet of all. He found a talking centipede. That's unusual. But the centipede came with a little box that was his house. So he lived in this little box and he took it home. And when he got home, he thought, you know, I need to do something special for my little centipede. And he thought, well, I think I'll start by taking him to church. He needs to believe in God. He needs to serve the Lord. So he leans over to where the little box is. It's all closed up. And he and he speaks to the centipede in the box. And he says, uh, would you like to go to church with me today? Uh, we'll have a good time. Would you like to go? And he doesn't hear anything. There's no answer. And it kind of bothered him. He doesn't hear anything. He starts worrying, you know, uh, is he not a believer? Is there something wrong with my centipede? Does he not, is his soul not right with God? And so he waited a few minutes and then he said again, well, uh, how about going uh, with me to church uh, and receiving a blessing? Still, no answer. And now he's really concerned. He's concerned this may be a godless centipede. And he doesn't know what to think about it. So he leans really close to the box and he shouts, hey in there, uh, would you like to go to church with me and learn about God? Finally, this time the centipede answers his little, little bitty voice. But he answers, I heard you the first time. I'm putting on my shoes. <laughs> You'll get that tomorrow, maybe. It'll be a hundred times more interesting to you, but... So we shouldn't be quick to judge people. We think we know what's going on because we see a behavior. And you really don't know what's going on in somebody's life because you see a behavior. Be careful. On the other hand, that shouldn't mean that we should step back from teaching even serious matters to people when it might be true about them. So even when it's uncomfortable... So I'm not accusing anybody of not having a single mind this morning, but maybe, maybe. You see, the single-minded saint has more than a casual belief in the gospel of Christ. You see, the difference between a single-minded person is that a single-minded person discerns the difference between religion and the gospel of God's grace. You see, if you're into religion, you're into lists. That's what you're into. You're into lists of do's and don'ts. And you believe somehow that if you do enough of those do's and you don't do enough of those don'ts, that somehow you'll be saved because you've been good enough. While the single-minded Christian believes in the saving grace of the gospel itself and that you'll be saved by that. And that individual, rather than having a list, works harder than the others out of debt. Which is different. And that's the reason we read this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. And yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now, Paul is a pattern. When we truly understand the grace of God and how it was extended to Paul, then we know that that's actually how it was extended to us. We're just not aware of it. And that he was therefore motivated to work even harder 
but not because he's saving himself, but because he was saved. So the, the single-minded saint knows that he needs to understand, if he doesn't know, and that is the perfect gospel is Christ, nothing less. And the plain gospel is Christ and nothing more. And the pure gospel is Christ and nothing else. But we sometimes miss that. While the casual-minded believer thinks, you know, if we just preach philosophy, men would applaud what we're doing. And you know what? They're right. They're absolutely right. But then at the same time, the single-minded believer says, if we just preach Christ, men would repent, changing their lives completely. And you know what? They are right. Now the thing is, is men literally are constantly, for whatever reason, trying to improve everything. So they try to turn the gospel into a better version. Try to make it into something else. They want to turn the gospel into what he or she thinks. Galatians 1 and verse 7. They want to change the good news of the gospel. Jude 1 and verse 4. They want to turn the grace of our God into lewdness. See, grace is not about I can get away with it. It's about a debt. It's a different thing entirely. Richard, uh, Dr. Richard Halverson said, he's a Bible scholar, he said, when, when the Greeks got the gospel, they turned it into a philosophy. When the Romans got the gospel, they turned it into a government. When the Europeans got the gospel, they turned it into a culture. And when the Americans got the gospel, they turned it into a big business. The church is not big business, folks. This is not a business. So to be a single-minded saint, we need the gospel, but we need to believe it as it really is and not the way we want it to be. So if by faith, if my faith is imperfect, if my faith in my mind is inadequate, okay, if that's where I think I am, uh, Am I lost? Preacher, are you trying to say to me that if I don't have the faith of a single-minded saint, that I am absolutely lost? I want you to imagine that you're way up north, not around Florida. You're way up north, and it's been cold, and you're just convinced that that lake out there that you're next to is absolutely frozen solid because you're from Florida, and anything this cold must be frozen solid. So you go running down to the uh, edge of the, the lake and you just jump out on it looking to slide. And all you do is go through about a one-eighth inch of ice and you are now freezing to death. You were convinced it would be solid ice. But you were wrong. And your faith in that object was wrong. But now let's imagine that you've been up there a little while and you notice that it's been warm the last few days. Remembering your last experience and just now getting over pneumonia, you go up to the lake and you sneak out on it real easily. 
and you find out that the ice is two foot thick. You see, it wasn't your faith that held you up at all. You see, the object of your faith is what's critical. It's not the level of your faith that's going to get you into heaven. It's the object of your faith that gets you into heaven. If you have to have absolutely perfect faith to get to heaven, we're all going to hell. But it's the object that makes it possible. So a simple assent to the gospel, by the way, though, is really not enough. And you say, well, what are you saying? I'm lost. No, no, no. I'm trying to get you to think a little deeper about it. See, Satan, Satan could, but he won't. He could, he's not going to ever do this, but Satan could technically, because of his position and knowing what he knows, he could affirm the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He could affirm the accuracy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knows the truthfulness, he knows the accuracy of the gospel of Christ, and it hasn't changed in that much. Do you pick up on that? It was a tightrope walker uh, that went to uh, Niagara Falls. His name was Blondin. And he was well known across the world. And uh, he walked across and came back. He said, uh, how many believe that I can walk to the other side? And uh, they said, oh, we believe, we believe. And he literally walked all the way across and he came back. When he got back, he said, who believes that I can push... Uh, this wheelbarrow all the way across and bring it back. And they all said, oh, we believe, we believe. And he did it. He pushed a wheelbarrow all the way across and he came back. And then he says, who believes that I could put a man in this wheelbarrow and walk all the way across and bring it back? And they all said, we believe, we believe. And he says, okay, who wants to get in? And the crowd got real silent. You see, that wasn't faith. That was just wagging your mouth. See, you can study aviation. You can know all about how a plane actually flies. You can see where the ticket counter is. You can do all kinds of things that you know inside and out about flying. But you know, you're saying I believe, but all your knowledge is not taking you anywhere until you get on that plane. Faith makes us act. And if faith doesn't make you act, it's not faith. We have too many Bible studying unbelievers. They come to church, but they don't believe any of this stuff. They just read it and act like they believe it, but they don't really believe it. See, we need to get beyond just a a deeper study of faith. We need a deeper faith. Okay, so I want you to think on that just a minute. I want to give you three truths. We're going to be going through, Lord willing, the next few weeks we're going to be going through Philippians. We'll try to work our way through it in about four weeks, Lord willing. So you got to keep up quick. We're going to be reading a good bit here. So number one, the single-minded saint focuses on the fellowship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how does he do that? He keeps all the saints... In his mind. Listen to Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You see, some folks come to church and the only person they're thinking about is them. Is anybody else in your mind here other than you? 
Are you it? The king of the world, your little world. Have you thought about anybody else this morning? Prayed for anybody else? Listen to what he says. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel. See, they understand there's a fellowship here that actually matters. From the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just concerned about his own situation. He was concerned about everybody. He was that way. That was Paul. The single-minded man keeps all the saints in his mind. It's not just about me. And he keeps... The saints in his heart. It says, verses 7 and 8, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. My grace, basically Paul's grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now you can see it, you can see it in the foyer, you can see it around this building when people actually have others in their heart. They hug, they are thrilled, they're thrilled to be here because they want to talk. And you can see it when others dart out the building too, it says something else. It says something else. And keeping saints in my prayers, that's the fellowship of the gospel. We're in this together, we pray for each other, Amen. Listen to what he says in verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. I'm praying for you all the time. And more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with all the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I know Paul had a single mind. Do we? Because a single mind focuses on the fellowship Of the gospel. Second little truth. Single-minded saint focuses on the furtherance, the furtherance of the gospel. It's actually prayed by Mike earlier this morning. Advancing even with chains. You know, I'm afraid we're not really wanting to make what we would call a sacrifice. We just talk like we would. Listen to what he says in verses 12 and 14. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What just happened to you, Paul? You got arrested. He got arrested. He's in jail. He says in verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, all the people guarding me, and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. What a perspective. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know what? The fact he went to prison makes me a little more bold. Does it do that to you? Now here's the question. Are you for the furtherance of the gospel? Would you be willing to be locked up? Hmm. And advancing the gospel and the furtherance of the gospel, even with critics saying ugly things about you behind your back. Listen to what he says in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish 
ambition. You mean there'd be people that would do such things at church? Have you been to church? And sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth. I love this. Don't you love this? I I don't care how it happened. Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. Even with the guy who's reading it that's only doing it. You know he's there at that congregation doing that. But he's reading this now. And he's saying, yeah, even with you, I'm going to rejoice. So advancing even with critics. You ever been criticized? You ever been criticized for your work in the church? If you've done anything, you have. If you haven't, you haven't. That's the way it is. And then advancing even with crisis. Being in crisis. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus. He's not talking about his soul deliverance. He's talking about his life because he's in crisis now. He's not just in prison. He's potentially going to be executed. Verse 20. You ever been potentially going to be executed for Jesus? I haven't. Verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed with all boldness as always. I want to still be bold even though I might be about to be killed. So now as Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, I want to still be bold for him. Amen. That's a loud amen. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to... Boy, I've seen that a lot of funerals. We're willing to say it after they're dead. But not many people feel that way before they die. Listen to verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for your progress, for your furtherance, for your progress and the joy of faith. See, it's all about the progress, the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. A single-minded saint of God. You know what they're focused on? They're not just focused on the fellowship. They're focused on this furtherance of the gospel of Christ. Is that your focus or is it just about making more money and going home and going on a vacation and, and accumulating stuff for retirement? Is there anything about a single-minded man that would be for the furtherance of the gospel? Number three. The single mind focuses on the faith of the gospel. He says and suggests that we should battle on with consistency. How do you show your faith? Even when things aren't going well. Folks, that's true for us all. We may not be in prison, but stuff ain't going right in your home, right? Stuff, stuff not going right. Listen to what he says, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. You, you, have you picked up on the, the focus of his life? Is the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Is that the focus of your life? And listen to it. it it's about his faith. 
and about a consistency that he's concerned. Only let, only, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your face. I just want to hear you're doing great. And then battling on with cooperation, he says that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then battling on with absolute confidence. Look at verses 28 through 30. They're not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Now, he's saying this in prison that they could kill him, right? And what is he saying? I'm not terrified. I want you to be that way. I'm trying to be bold. I want you to be that way. Not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition. They think because you're not afraid, you must be a nut. But to you of salvation and that from God. See, if you know, you know that you know you're saved by grace and die today. Wouldn't it be lovely to go home and lay your head down on your pillow and go on to be with Jesus? Amen? But you don't feel that way unless you know that you know, you know, you know. Verse 29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Oh, wow. You mean it's a granting to have trouble? It's a blessing. Verse 30. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear in me. So a single-minded saint focuses on the faith of the gospel. This, this is the lesson. The fellowship of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel, faith of the gospel. That's the single mind that he's talking about. The single mind. Single focus. I'm not picking on anybody. I don't know if you're still putting your shoes on or what. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Thomas Blenny, I like him, he's a short fellow. He's a law student at Cambridge, brilliant mind. And by the way, you, you know, everybody that studies the Bible is not ignorant, you know. But Cambridge University, and he bought a Greek New Testament for academic reasons, he just had to. So he opened God's Word and he began studying it, and it transformed him. He had no plans of being a preacher, he became a preacher preacher in the Reformation movement there. He was arrested in 1527 because of his preaching, just the Bible. He's threatened into silence, and he did. He went silent. He quit preaching for a time. But he just couldn't keep quiet. So he even preached out in the countryside. He was arrested again, released again. Then in 1531, He's arrested one last time. And they burned him at the stake for preaching the gospel of Christ. Single mind. Let me ask you a question. Who believes in the gospel of grace so much you'd be willing to be burned at the stake? The reason I ask that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get you into some kind of weird thing. I want you to think this through. There's a scripture that has always scared me to death. It's a scary, haunting passage that I don't know what to do with. Listen to this one. 
Luke 18, verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Or is that gone? That's from these days. We wouldn't be willing to do that at all. But in those days they would do it because they were ignorant. They didn't know how important it was to carry on, to compromise, to get along, to not make the gospel of Christ the center of their life. That's silly. How you just out of balance? Really? Somebody's out of balance. The gospel of Christ requires faith. A faith that will respond and receive it. So a Christian worker once visited a poor lady to just bring her some money to help her out. Our elders have seen that many times. And many of our deacons. She's badly in need. So he knocked at the door. Nothing. Not a sound. Nothing. It's pretty certain she was there. Nothing. Minutes passed. Nothing. Finally, he had to do other things, so he left. A few days later, he meets her in the public square. And he told her, says, hey, I came by your house the other day. I had some money I wanted to give you. And I knocked and knocked and knocked. But you never came to the door. Were you there? What was going on? And she says, I was there. Well, why didn't you come to the door? She says, well, I didn't have any money. And I just knew that was the rent collector. And I'm behind on my rent. And I thought he'd kick me out of the house. Listen to me. Jesus is not a taskmaster. He stands at the door and knocks. He's the one going to pay the bill. He's the one that's going to relieve you of your problem. He's not your problem. He's not the thing you need to be afraid of. He's the one going to solve your fear problem. He's going to reduce that because it's a thing called grace. You can't earn it. God does it. You receive it. But you can choose to receive it or you can choose to reject it. You can leave the door shut. You don't have to open the door of your heart. You can leave it shut. Or you can actually begin to develop that single mind. And you can accept the gospel of Christ, believing, repenting, confessing the name of Christ, being baptized. That's all the gospel, but it's more than that. But because it's also, if you really get it, if you really get what God's done for you, then suddenly you see the gospel of grace is a fellowship. You see the gospel of grace is about furthering that gospel to the whole world. And you see that it is a faith that absolutely transforms your life. If you want that... It's the offer at every invitation we have here. Will you come if you need to while we stand and while we sing?